This morning's scripture is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Revelation, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, and to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. But, amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We are thankful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God, to enjoy fellowship with one another. We want to, as was mentioned a moment ago, uh, welcome Michael and his family. He has four children, and we're glad to have them with us today, and we look forward to them moving to this area to begin working and uh, going through school and getting ready to preach and teach the gospel. And so we look forward to that association for many years to come. We're going to be looking at Revelation, the first chapter, and specifically today we want to look at verse 5 and following as we contemplate the theme, looking at Jesus. John, in the Revelation, provides us with a very beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ, the one of whom Paul said is King of kings and Lord of lords. And no doubt the book of Revelation pictures Christ as being triumphant. And so we want to think for just a few moments about what John has said concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the first thing that I would ask you to consider with me today is his glorious position. Look, if you would, at verse 5. And as you begin looking to verse 5, let me just make a couple of observations. You and I need to understand that Jesus Christ enjoys an exalted position in this life. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, provides for us a very fitting portrait of the Christ. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And he said, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. And he said that those seraphim cried, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We need to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up an exalted being who typifies holiness. Now John identifies for us some statements that I believe encompass his exalted position. First of all, he is called the faithful witness. Whatever Jesus Christ says is true. You can believe it. You can bank on it. In John chapter 8 at verse 14, Jesus said, My witness is true. 
Now, there are a lot of people in our world today that are not altogether honest. As a matter of fact, they have trouble sometimes telling the truth. The beauty of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son is the fact that whatever they say is true. Jesus is called the faithful witness. In John 18, verse 37, as Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, before being executed on the cross of Calvary, said, For this purpose was I born, for this cause did I come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Now, Paul said in the book of Titus, chapter 1, at verse 2, that you and I, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son are true and faithful. The Hebrew writer said, speaking of God, it is impossible for him to lie. And so Jesus here is called the faithful witness. But then there is a second attribute that we want to note. He is spoken of as the firstborn from the dead. Now, I really believe here that John is underscoring the preeminence of Christ, his superiority to and priority over creation itself. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ is the image of the invisible God. And by him were all things created in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were made by him. And in him all things consist. Now in that same context, Paul said he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus Christ was the agent by which the world was made. That's what John said in John chapter 1 at verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Well, Paul attributes the creation to Jesus because as he said in Colossians 1, all things were made by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. But then in verse 18, he also said that not only did Jesus Christ create the world, but he is the one who created, originated, if you please, the church. That word beginning that is found in Colossians 1.18 denotes the active agent or source by which something comes into being. And so Paul is saying that he is the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning. In other words, Jesus Christ is the one who created the church. And so he is preeminent. He is over all things. But then there is a third attribute that we find in our lesson text. 
He is called the first and the last in verse 11. In verse 8, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here is a designation of his power. We think of his preeminence, but also we need to underscore his great power. He is as he said in verse 8, the Almighty. In verse 11, he said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. Jesus here is saying, I am the, commence, the commencement and I am the conclusion. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the first and I am the last. What about his power? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, All authority or all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now, just a moment ago, I said that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. He was the first to rise from the dead to die no more. But also, Jesus has the keys to the cemetery, another attribute of his power. In verse 18, Jesus said, I was dead and am alive, and behold, I am alive evermore, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Who else has the keys to the cemetery? No one but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so first of all, we think of his glorious position. But then secondly, his gracious pardon. Now when you think of his glorious position, you're, you're thinking about his deity, the eternal one, as he says in verse 8, who was and is and is to come. But what about his gracious pardon? In other words, the deliverance that you and I enjoy through Jesus Christ. Well, we're talking now about forgiveness. And forgiveness is connected to the blood. Look at verse 5. John said, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The blood of Jesus Christ is essential in the scheme of our redemption. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 9:22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Had it not been for the blood of Christ, you and I would have no hope for redemption. And yet Paul said in Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him or in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In 1 Peter chapter 1, at verse 18, Peter said, you have not been redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Jesus shed his blood so that you and I might enjoy pardon. That's what John is saying here, unto him who loved us and washed us. Our sins have been washed away. They've been remitted. They've been forgiven. We never have to meet them again. Think about those who lived under the old covenant. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10, there was a remembrance of sin made every year. And the reason was it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Well, Jesus Christ shed his blood on Calvary. You and I, we live under a covenant that offers forgiveness in its most absolute sense. Under the old covenant, the people enjoyed forgiveness in anticipation of the coming of Christ. But you and I, we enjoy it in its most absolute sense. How is that possible? Well, the Hebrew writer said, speaking of the new covenant under which you and I now live, he said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Whatever you and I have done, once we enjoy the benefits of his blood, we never meet it again. There are a lot of people today, if you were to wrong them, it seems as if they relish bringing up what you did on a regular basis. Well, you did this, or do you remember when you said that? Well, the Hebrew writer said that you and I, as people that have been forgiven based on the blood of Christ, that God will never again remember the sins that we've committed. That is, they've been washed away. Saul of Tarsus had committed some heinous crimes. He was a great persecutor of the church. People were put to death through his efforts. When Stephen was stoned, as recorded by Luke in Acts 7, the text tells us they laid their garments at the feet of a man named Saul. And yet Saul was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins calling on the name of the Lord, Acts twenty-two sixteen. So our sins are washed away. But now there is a second thing we need to see in this text. Not only do we enjoy forgiveness, but we enjoy fellowship. Forgiveness is based on the blood of Christ. Now our fellowship is in the body of Christ. Look at verse 6. John said he has made us kings, or he has made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When you and I obey the gospel of Christ, we become members of a divine kingdom. We are delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's what Paul said in Colossians 1, verse 13. It is in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1, 14. Now John said in verse 9 of this same text that he was in the kingdom. 
That is, he was a member of the church, the kingdom of God. And we enjoy fellowship with one another in this divine body. Now, there are some duties, and those duties are priestly in nature. Now, there were Old Testament priests, and they came from the tribe of Levi. But today, every Christian is a priest unto God. And Peter said we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 2 at verse 5. One of the things that we do is we offer our body as a living sacrifice, according to Romans 12 at verse 1. And you see, our body belongs to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Paul asked the question, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God? You're not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God, where? In your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to the Lord. And so we want to offer our body as a living sacrifice. But we also offer unto God spiritual sacrifices that are called by the Hebrew writer the fruit of our lips in Hebrews 13, 15. I think about our worship to God. When we sing praise to God, we are offering Him the fruit of our lips, a spiritual sacrifice. And so, you and I, we have some very important duties. But then there is a third thing that we see in Revelation chapter 1. We think about His glorious position, His gracious pardon, but then thirdly, His grand promise. Look now at verse 7. In verse 7, here's what John said. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now this has to do with our destiny. And first of all, we think about the future. What John is talking about here is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is interesting to read the New Testament and to note the numerous references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You and I do not know when Jesus is coming. Emphasis does not need to be placed on when Jesus is coming, but rather it needs to be placed on him who is coming. He's coming. His coming will first of all, according to John, be visible. Look again at what he says. In verse 7, he said, Behold, he is coming with clouds. Now note, And every eye will see him, and they also who pierced him. There's not going to be some secret rapture of the church. 
but rather when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven, as John said, every eye shall see him. And they also who pierced him. I think about that soldier that stood at the foot of the cross and thrust that spear into his side, and as John said, forthwith came out blood and water. That soldier that stood on Calvary's hill nearly 2,000 years ago when the Son of God comes again, he will, he will see him. As John said, every eye shall see him. His coming will be visible and audible. What do I mean when I say his coming will be audible? Paul said the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. One day you and I are going to hear the voice of the archangel. Now we have never heard the voice of an archangel, but we will hear one. We will hear the trumpet of God. And Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout. Some have called 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 the noisiest verses in the Bible. So, the future. Oh, Jesus is coming. His coming will be visible and audible, but now the fate of those who dwell on the earth. We think, first of all, of those who have lived for the Lord, who enjoy the blood of Christ, as John speaks of in verse 5. They will be afforded life the life that has been extended through Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, at verse 10, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You want an abundant life? You want a full life? You want a happy and a satisfied life? Then look to Christ. He is the one that can make your life complete. He affords us eternal life. Now, in Revelation 21, verse 27, he speaks of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They are the ones that will have the hope of heaven. They are members of the church. In Revelation 19, 7, John said, The bride hath made herself ready. You want to go to heaven? You want to enjoy eternal life? Then you better make yourself ready. How do you do that? You believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Because Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, he said, where I am, there you cannot come. You have to repent of every sin. That is, turn from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. You have to confess the name of Christ before others, Matthew 10, 32. You have to be baptized or washed in that watery grave of baptism. And the blood will cleanse every sin. Acts 2, verse 38. Now that's how you make yourself ready. That's how you enjoy life. Now if you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, then you have to repent. You have to turn again. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then also, James said, confess your faults one to another, Pray one for another. You see, we can pray for you if you're unfaithful. 
We can pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. So, on the one hand, life is extended, but then also there will be lamentation for some. Look at verse 7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. They also who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. That word mourn denotes to, su to, to suffer utter hopelessness. Now, you just think about people that will stand before the Lord when he comes again who have not made themselves ready. John said, all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. You want to talk about loss? You want to talk about losing something? I think about when the, the stock market crashed some years ago. And the people that experienced great financial loss. That was a bad day. But this is a far worse day. You and I, we might lose our home to fire and that would be a bad day. But this is a far worse day. You and I, we might lose our job and that would be a bad day. But I'm telling you, this is a bad, bad day. When you step out onto the plains of eternity and you're outside of Christ, you're not faithful to God, you will suffer loss unlike anything you've ever seen in this life. It is to experience utter and absolute hopelessness. What will you tell the Lord? Nothing you can tell him. Are you ready for that day? We talk about looking at Jesus. We need to look for Jesus because he will come. Are you ready for that day? If not, why not come as we stand and sing?